share with you. Uh, <clears throat> I first preached, uh, I preached my first sermon when I was 18 years old um, on Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> so uh, I've been preaching for about 53 years on and off. Uh, some people would say more off than on. Uh, and as far as I can remember, I've never preached a sermon on Luke 15. So this is it. It's one of the most well-known stories Jesus told. It's been called the gospel within the gospel. There are actually three stories. Um, but they all have the same general aim. And the key to this lesson is found in the first verse. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Two responses to Jesus. <clears throat> to hear or to mutter. The non-religious worldly folk came to hear. The religious establishment came to mutter. I wonder if anything's changed. Sadly, I've been involved in my share of muttering. <laughs> Philip Yancey, in one of his books, talks about his involvement with uh, an outreach to former prostitutes. One woman uh, became interested in Jesus and was attracted to Jesus. And he said to her, why don't you come to church? And her response was, why on earth should I do that? I already feel bad enough as it is. Sadly, the church can become a divide between good and evil, between respectable and not respectable. And it loses sight of the fact that Jesus only came for sinners. Am I a hearer or a mutterer? Is the church that I attend, no offense to Watford Church of Christ, <laughs> hearing Jesus or muttering about doctrine and how other people haven't got it right and all of that? The message of these three stories can be summed up uh, by Jesus himself in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 32. And this is what Jesus said. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the message of Jesus, we call it good news. You know, I grew up in the church, and for a long time I was puzzled, because it wasn't good news to me. It was thou shalt, and if you don't do this, and God's watching, and I was scared. But only in recent years has it become good news to me. And it is good news. It's great to see so many young people here. I still feel like I'm a young person, actually. <laughs> but I, my teen years were, were pretty challenging. I, I, I was very shy and nervous, and I used to blush at anything. And uh, so I, I, I really want to try to convey something to young people today, uh, that this is good news. The message of the three stories, uh, the, 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 the three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost boy. All three stories have the same four elements, so it's very straightforward. It's my kind of story, because it's quite simple. <laughs> There's something lost, there's a search, it's found, and there's rejoicing. The appeal of these stories is because all of us can relate to this idea of loss. Being lost or losing something very dear to you or someone dear to you is all of our experience. And if not, it certainly will be before too long. Can you think of a time when you were lost or lost something and how you felt? That's not a rhetoric. You know, you can answer. Danny. You lost two points. Yeah. Oh, that, that was scary. We went to a beach down south near... Devon. Yeah. And in um, high tide, so in low tide, it, mm. it split into two beaches, and there's an island, and then in high tide, it becomes just one beach, and then <coughs> it becomes one beach, and then drowned. And lifted for 35, 40 minutes, so it felt like three hours. Yeah, yeah. And me and Becky was absolutely tearing out Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you feel? Pardon? How did you feel? I was quite young, I think. I think we know. I thought I was going back in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. Because of the way that the was coming yeah. in, I was so lost. And, yeah, it was scary, but yeah. so lost. It, it really is scary. I've, I had a similar experience. I mean, I was about eight. We went to Peterhead in the north-east uh, of Scotland. And uh, we stayed with a family in a tenement building. And there are these four or five stories, and uh, everyone lived. And, and I was poorly confident that I could find my way. There was a, there was a sweet shop near the, one of these alleyways. And uh, I said, Dad, can I get some sweets, and I'll catch you up? No problem. 
So I go buy my sweets, and then I go down this alleyway. I knock on the door, and it's the wrong door. And so I run down. I go back to the sweet shop. I look again. I try this next alley. Wrong one. And then I panic, and I'm absolutely horrified. And again, probably only 10 minutes, but it seemed like 10 hours. And I'm standing there crying my eyes out. And then I hear this voice shout, John, and I'm saved. But that feeling, uh, Rose and I had a, an experience. We used to go to the park, uh, and we'd play a game with Chris when he was quite young. So we could talk and get some time together. <laughs> we would say, go hide, and you make sure you can see us, but we can't see you. So he would play this game. And one day he got really good at it. <laughs> and he hid, and we were ready to find him, but so we shouted, Chris? No response. And at that time, there'd been some kidnappings, and we were, we were, I, I was furious. I mean, I was running through nettles, all my legs got stuck. I didn't care. I was just desperate to try and find Chris. And again, it seemed like ages. We eventually rang the police. I mean, it was, uh, we, was, we were scared. And uh, a guy came up and tried to console us. And, and then this head pops from behind the tree. <laughs> and Chris says, uh, that was a good hiding place, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, uh, but, but being lost or, or feeling lost, you know, as a teenager, I, I felt lost. I, I, just, I just didn't have a clue, and I thought everybody else knew what, what they were doing and where they were going, but me, I, I, I didn't. One thing I've seen as I've got older is that the more value and trust you place in people or things, the greater the grief and the pain when they're gone. And so a lot of people live scared of losing someone. Oh, I hope you don't go before me. I don't know what I'll do. There's a great fear because a lot of our, our trust and our sense of being, we've invested in that person or sometimes in things. You know, um, and I, I, I want you to think about putting your trust uh, and your value in something that you can't lose. First Peter 1, uh, Peter says, that God in his great mercy gives us a new birth and an inheritance that can never spoil or fade. Wow. So we can have an assurance that there's something that's solid, something that's safe and secure. And most people would like that. 
But I didn't find it for a long time. I was religious for a long time. But I didn't find that security. I was still groping in the dark. In Romans 8, Paul says, he assures us that there's something we can't lose. Nothing, life, death, this, that, the other, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you know, that's what I need. I didn't know I needed it for a long time, but, but that's what I need. I need to feel loved. I need to feel special. I need to feel significant. I need to feel safe. I can look for those things in all kinds of ways. But most places I've looked don't really provide them. So, this life loss is inevitable. You're going to lose someone that's very dear to you. You're going to lose some things that are precious to you. I'm sorry, but that is how it is. So let's look at the three stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost boy. In each of these stories, we see three things. Firstly, that what was lost was precious. That it was powerless and it was pursued. Firstly, it was precious. The sheep, the coin, the boy. If you lost a penny or even 10p, you probably wouldn't spend a lot of time looking for it because it's not that important to you. Ah, it's okay. But you see, the sheep, the coin, and the boy were precious. They were important. And God is the seeker in this story. And so he drops everything and he searches. Why would you do that? Only because you're precious. As I've shared with you, for most of my life, I, I didn't think I was precious. <laughs> As a teen, the voices in my head said, you're different. You don't fit. I want to hide. I don't feel comfortable around people. I'm less than. I'm not attractive. I'm not smart. There's something missing. I'm not acceptable. I spoke to a young man yesterday and the theme of our chat was, I am not enough. I thought, if only, then I could be okay. 
if only I could be good enough. <laughs> if only I could achieve something that people would notice and say, see, I'm okay. If only I could try to please people and they would give me words of affirmation and tell me I was okay. So I would go fishing for that. I lost myself because I didn't understand that I was precious. The message I heard in the church growing up was, be good and God will accept you. Be bad and he's watching. Try harder. Didn't sound like good news to me. The dumb sheep, and I believe sheep are pretty dumb. <laughs> the helpless coin and the rebellious boy, all precious. The good news about Jesus is not about us trying to be good enough for God, but that God is good enough for us. God thinks you are precious. Do you believe that? So precious that he left the security and the power and the glory of heaven. <laughs> and he decided he would come down and be a baby and be born in a stable in Bethlehem and grow up in a poor family and be laughed at and spit at and mocked and beaten and abused and killed. That's how precious you are to him. Now that's good news. Looking for acceptance, for value, for worth, for significance, for security, Look for it in anyone or in anything and you're going to be disappointed at some point in your life. Follow the crowd, you'll end up in McDonald's. <laughs> but what Jesus offers, he says, I can be everything you need if you'll trust me. If you'll be my friend. If you'll walk with me. Because I, I, I know what you need. <laughs> I know how you tick. And it seems like all of these people that are shouting, hey, over here. this is the way to have fun. This is it. Come over here. Do this. Join us. They don't have the answers. You know, I, I remember as a boy, I was a, an apprentice bricklayer. And I went to work. I was absolutely scared to death. 
all these big burly builders <laughs> from Wigan. <laughs> and you know, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, 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 thought, I thought I was missing out on life. And one of the guys said to me one time, I always remember it, what's wrong with you? You don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't go out with women. What do you do? <laughs> and you know, basically that summed up <laughs> what, 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 what life was about. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, we, we can, we can, we can get, I, I, I was, I was, 18 years old, I just bought my first motorbike. And I thought I was going to get, I, I told my sister, by the time I'm 20, I'm going to be making more money than you are. And I didn't have an education. I didn't have A-levels, O-levels or anything. But I was determined. You know, I'm going to work one morning in Leeds, driving down Ellen Road. <laughs> Boom. Ready mix concrete lorry straight underneath it, ran over my foot. I had uh, steel toe cap boots on, thankfully. So it saved my foot, but uh, it kind of ballooned out about this big. I was up in bed with my foot in the air for about six weeks. That's when I wrote my first sermon. But you see, it was like I was chasing something that I thought I could find myself. And God just said, not the way. It's not the way. You know, we're precious to God. Please believe it. We're not superior than others. That's not important and that's not necessary. But we are loved and we are precious. To the lost, Jesus says, I came for you. I am the way. Follow me. We're also powerless. The sheep, the coin, and the young man were all powerless. From a very early age, we hate to feel powerless, don't we? My wonderful grandson, uh, struggling with something, and I say, can I help you, Seth? No, I can do it. <laughs> Chris's headmaster uh, used to have a sign on his desk that said, hire a teen while he still knows everything. <laughs> I worked with uh, a young offenders group uh, with social services for a while. And uh, we had, uh, uh, the, these were people who either went to a borstal as it was then, or, or they would have to come to our group. So the judge would order them to come to our group. And it was for 12 weeks and uh, we'd met, meet every, every week. and. Uh, we got to know these, these lads, and uh, what one lad, pretty tough guy, said, I don't need your help. 
I can do whatever I want to do. So I said, uh, okay, Jim. I said, how about going away and from now until next uh, time we come together, don't swear. Okay. So next week they come back, his mate runs in, eager to tell me. He only lasted an hour and he swore <laughs> and he gave up. You know, Paul says it quite well in Romans 7 when he says, the good that I would like to do, I don't always do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I seem to end up doing. Wretched man that I am. And if you're honest with yourself, that's probably how you feel. Because I would like not to get annoyed at people who cut in front of me. And I'm working on it, but I've been working on it for a long time. <laughs> See, we're born into a world that's gone wrong. That's the reality. And we're all limited, and we're all weak, and we all have certain areas that we sin. And we're powerless to change that. That's the reality. The message of the gospel isn't God's up there, see how close you can get to him. <laughs> That's not the message. The message of the gospel is accept your powerless. And when we don't want to do that because of our pride, I, I want to look good. You know, more, more, most pride is really insecurity. It's really people trying to show that they're something that inside they don't really feel, sadly. Powerless doesn't mean helpless. It doesn't mean worthless, and it doesn't mean hopeless. But it does mean powerless. <laughs> and accepting we're powerless is not easy. We try to hide our weaknesses. You're told, you know, when you go for an interview or when you're in front of a job, fake it to make it. That, that's, that's what you're told, okay? We try to blame others or circumstances or our past. Uh, we look at others' fault and we say, well, I don't do that. But I'm happy to tell you today, I'm powerless. I work with ODAT, the Addiction Recovery uh, some of you have uh, had experience with that, volunteering. Uh, it's a great experience. And the greatest barrier to recovery is denial. It's, I don't have a problem, I'm okay, I could stop if I want to, uh, uh, you know. 
And so in recovery, in the 12-step AA program, do you know what the first step is? We admit that we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Step one. That's a great step for all of us to take. I admit I am powerless over whatever it might be. I don't, I don't, I can't do this on my own. Step two, we came to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves who can restore us to sanity. That's the good news. We come to believe that there is a God who thinks we're precious, who can help us, who without, we're groping in the dark. We're going down the wrong road. Step three, we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. They're the first three steps of AA. Often summarized as, I can't, he can, let him. You may have heard critics say that Christianity is a crutch for weak people. Dead right. <laughs> Dead right. The good news of this story, God only accepts powerless people. Romans 5 verse 6 says it clearly. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, sometimes we're like the guy who says, I'll get well and then I'll go see the doctor. <laughs> Precious, powerless, but we're pursued. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to search for the one sheep. The woman stops everything she's doing. She moves everything away so she can find a coin. It's precious. It's probably part of an heirloom, probably part of a dowry or something that she valued so highly. The father, every day, I know that, the Bible doesn't say it, but he must have, every day, went on his rooftop to look for his son. Because when he was a long way off, he saw him and he ran. God is a pursuing God. He longs for you. He is a lover that wants you to be his bride. He doesn't offer you a religion, but a relationship. It's not about going to church 
or doing the right things religiously. It's about you saying to him, I want you in my life. I, I want to trust you with my life. You know, I was pursued once, and it felt quite good. When I was about 19, I hadn't really had a girlfriend. I didn't think any girl would look twice at me. And uh, I was staying with a friend, and my friend said to me, John, this, this sister, this girl in the church, she likes you. And I said, don't be so cruel. She was older than me. She was well known. It wasn't Rose, no. <laughs> and you know, I, I, I just didn't believe him at all. I thought he was really winding me up. And so a bit later, he said, you know, I spoke to this sister again, and she's asking about you, and she really does like you. <clears throat> You know, I said eventually, I said, well, if she likes me, get her to write to me. <laughs> she wrote to me. Wow. Not once, twice, three times. And we ended up dating. But I was pursued. Because I, I didn't feel precious. I didn't feel like, but. You know, God is like that. He, he, he wants you so badly that he'll, he'll pursue you. And you know, sometimes he does that by trying to, you know, love you and bless you. And sometimes he does that by tripping you up so you fall on your back so you've got to look up. He'll do whatever if he can get your attention, because that's how much he cares. We see God's heart in Jesus crying over Jerusalem. So he looks at Jerusalem, and he says, just before he's going to die, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. You see, that, that's what God is saying to you. How often have I wanted to save you from the mess and help you and be with you? But you look the other way. I read a story, I believe it's a true story, of a, a farm that burned down. When the farmer was going through the barn and trying to sift out, he saw a charred hen that was dead. And he kind of moved it aside, and out from under the end, three chicks came. It said that a hen will protect her chicks. And the end gave her own life to protect her chicks. 
that's what God did for us. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you any more than he already does. Nothing. But he wants you to accept him. He's not going to force himself on you. And so in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Here I am. This is Jesus talking. I stand at your door and I'm knocking. If you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you and you with me. Today, the good news is that Jesus is knocking at all of our doors whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, I want you today to respond to the message and say in your heart, whether you've said it before, uh, fine. If you've never said it before, say it today. I want you to come in and eat with me because I am precious. I am powerless. And I know you're pursuing me. So here I am. I'm going to play a song that I uh, just came across back, but I like. And uh, I, I pray that you'll just pray and reflect as the song is play, playing. It, it's uh, by a guy called Nathaniel Bassey, and it's uh, someone's knocking at the door.
Oh